you know, as we all know, just from kind of living in the world, we, we live in a world of infinite distraction. And obviously it has a cost, right? It has a psychological cost. It even has sort of an emotional cost on some level, right? So because of distraction, because we're so immersed in this world of infinite distraction, it's tough to be present to ourselves, to other people, to life, right? Which begs the question, like, why is distraction such a big deal? Why is it such a big problem? Well, certainly a big part of it is the world in which we live, right? So think about our external circumstances, things like the pace of life, uh, social media, cell phones, mobile devices, that kind of thing. But at the same time, if we're really being honest with ourselves, another reason why we allow ourselves to be so caught up in distraction is because there's a part of us deep down in our hearts, which perhaps we don't talk about at parties, which actually loves being caught up in distraction. Because if we're caught up in distraction, it gives us sort of an excuse. It gives us an out, you know, an excuse to not deal with the things that we should be dealing with, which the Lord actually wants us to face and address. You know, the Christian writer, John Eldridge, he talks about this particular phenomenon in his really great book called Get Your Life Back. And so basically in the context of this book, he tells a story where basically he was inspired by the Lord to go on this trip, this road trip to Montana, I believe. And so in anticipation of this trip, he, he felt like, okay, well, this is going to be a great opportunity to fish, right? So he brought his fishing gear, he brought his tackle box. But funny enough, what happened is that he found himself fishing for two days, but then he only caught like one fish. As a result of which he kind of prayed to the Lord, like, Lord, what's happening? I thought this was supposed to be a fishing trip. In response to which the Lord basically said to him, I never said it was a fishing trip, right? But instead, this is actually meant to be a soul recovery trip, a soul recovery trip. And what the Lord was ultimately getting at was that in this particular setting, this idyllic, beautiful nature setting, John was being invited basically to visit or perhaps revisit those tender places in his heart, which perhaps had been neglected over a long period of time. And so, for example, things like loss, disappointment, unmet needs, desires, or expectations, any number of things which kind of weighed on his heart, which had been left unaddressed over a long period of time. And in John's case, he realized that, yeah, there were a bunch of things I had not addressed for a long period of time. And so even in the past year, he had experienced the loss of a best friend, the miscarriage of a child, the loss of the family dog. And the whole idea is that all these things were not insignificant things. And so now here was this moment, here was this situation where the Lord was saying to him, you need to look at these things to basically move on with your life. Now, what's interesting is that you find a similar dynamic playing out in the course of the gospel, right? So think, for example, of the gospel of John chapter 21, right? So after the resurrection, Jesus has this really important conversation with St. Peter. And so obviously St. Peter is coming off that threefold denial of Jesus Christ on Holy Thursday. And so there's this thing in the air. So yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ has come back from the dead. But at the same time, Peter has this thing weighing down in his heart, shame, self-hatred, however you want to put it, as a result of which he feels a lack of comfort in his relationship with the Lord. And so given all that, what's really kind of beautiful and cool about this particular story is that it shows us that Jesus basically won't allow us to stay in these moments. He won't allow us to stay in these moments of shame, self-hatred, however you want to put it, but rather he invites us to address these things, to move on with our lives, and more importantly, to move on, to move forward in our relationship with him. And of course, in the context of the story, that's why Jesus asked St. Peter that particular question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And obviously this parallels Peter's threefold denial of Jesus on Holy Thursday, but at the same time, the reason why Jesus brings this up is not so much to pull St. Peter deeper down into the hole of shame, but rather because he's wanting to tell St. Peter, this is the tender place in your heart that needs to be addressed. 
This is the place that needs reconciliation. This is the place that needs redemption. Again, in order to move on with your life and in your particular relationship with me. And you see, the thing I want to impress upon you now is that the reason why Jesus tends to lean so heavily on these tender places in our hearts is not because he's trying to be mean, but rather because he knows in his great wisdom that a lot of times the real reason why we're so unable to be fully present to ourselves, to life, to even God himself, is because many times these places in our hearts have been long left unattended, as a result of which we often have little or nothing left for the things of God. Case in point, think of it like this. Apparently, in the context of corporate America, if your spouse dies, like if your husband or wife dies, apparently the average corporate bereavement leave is only four days. So again, in the context of corporate America, if your husband or wife dies, corporate America will only typically give you four days to basically get over it, get your life together, and move on with life. After which, what's the expectation? That you will produce in the way the world expects you to produce after only four days. Which, if you think about it, is just completely crazy, and more to the point, completely inhumane and unreasonable. But you see, in contrast, what do we find in the Bible? Well, think, for example, of Psalm 34, where the psalmist very famously says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Which speaks to the fact that God cares about the details. He cares about our small hurts and disappointments in life. He cares about the big stuff too, obviously. He is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And more to the point, you know, not unlike that story with St. Peter, the Lord wants us to invite him into these places, to be healed, to be redeemed, to be saved. God, again, is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Okay, now obviously there's kind of a lot going on here, but it kind of begs the obvious question, like what do we do? Like what does this mean for us, practically speaking, in terms of dealing with our various distractions, our various wounds, to allow ourselves again to be more fully present to ourselves, to life, to God himself. So I guess the first thing that comes to mind is to be acutely aware that God typically works through people. God typically works through people. And so basically the idea is this. Even though it's true that God can give us His grace, His presence, His love in an unmediated fashion, typically what He tends to do is that He works through the people in our lives, people like priests, teachers, parents, friends. And so given all that, the idea is, who has God sent into my life with whom I can work through these various issues to become fully healed, fully redeemed, fully alive? So it's kind of the first thing. But the second thing is this, to be slightly more intentional and purposeful when it comes to your immediate environment. And so this is something we kind of alluded to at the very beginning of the talk, right? And so again, think about this question. Why are we perpetually caught up in infinite distraction? Well, part of it is because we love it, but another part, and we can't overlook this, is because of our environments, right? And so is there a way I can construct or reconstruct my environment, which is more conducive to peace, recollection, uh, self-possession, if you will? And so just to kind of keep things simple, the, the way to kind of think of it is like no to this, but yes to that. Putting the priority on beauty, right? To surround yourself perpetually and habitually with beautiful things. Mindful of the fact that beauty by its very nature heals and redeems and saves, right? And so for example, less time with social media, maybe setting a time after which you don't check your cell phone, less time with negative news, especially news involving politics, less time watching streaming channels, right? In favor of what? More time with nature, more time breathing in air, more time seeing the sun, right? More time being around green things, right? More time just taking time out for yourself and with your family. So no to this in favor of yes to that. 
Okay, but that brings us to the final thing I want to say to you in terms of concrete advice in this regard. And this is basically to invite the Lord in. To be very intentional and purposeful in terms of inviting the Lord into these tender places in your heart in the context of prayer. Now, obviously, there's all sorts of different ways you can do this, right? You can do this in a casual way. You can do this in a slightly more formal way. But I want to give you kind of one example. And so this is a prayer which is basically based on the writings of John Eldridge, again, from his book, Get Your Life Back. So it basically goes like this. Lord, I thank you that you have brought to my attention by the power of the Holy Spirit, these tender and neglected places in my heart. And I ask for your forgiveness that I have not loved myself in the way that you always call me to love myself. And now I invite you to enter into these deep and tender places in my heart to heal me, to restore me, to make me new. And as always, we ask this in Jesus' name. And may God bless you all.